Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis from Greater Los Angeles area, and you can call in to talk tonight at 626-414-3510, and this is Make Life Happen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, The program today is going to be about Joy Brown. Joy Brown wrote a chapter for the book called Evolving Women's Consciousness on Child Abuse, and her own experience, she shared so it becomes the basis for all of us to recognize that this event happens unwillingly and without any sort of preconceptions whatsoever, and then suddenly a person, a child, a daughter, a girl has to deal with having been violated and uh, um, violently treated in a sexual fashion without any real reason whatsoever. So Joy Brown, if you're uh, there, I know she's going to try to call in tonight. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about her story. Um, she was a child, a happy child in a happy family, extended family members visiting her and as they had for years and years and years. And then just one day out of the blue, she was left with older male relatives and they, being in the probably the high point of their sexual curiosity, took her as a very, very young child in the... Um, in the early uh, school-aged years of her life and sexually molested her. Her story is in a book called Evolving Women's Consciousness. You can go to evolvingwomensconsciousness.com. You can see it on the site, and you can order a book there as well. Or you can contact me at carolfrance.com or at 310-543-1824 to order a book to read about her story. Now, one thing that's very important about this issue is Uh, There's been a book that recently uh, came out by a gal who had been kidnapped and sexually abused for 18 years of her life, and I really do appreciate that she's gone uh, very openly about what she went through. Uh, Related to that is the Catholic priest difficulties, and just within 22 hours ago, the Victoria County Court had had told the Catholic Church that it was just unconscionable that they allowed a brethren uh, priest to have added and continued access as a teacher to 12-year-old students even after they knew that he had been accused and found to be in violation, uh, sexually violating the children. So this is very hot, and we know it's hot. I remember in the 1970s, we didn't whisper about this, and earlier than that, the children were often blamed for what was occurring I'd turn you to a wonderful website called Catholic Priest um, Jail for Child Sexual Abuse and um, in, in the Melbourne area, and it's called the abc.net, and you will find information about that. Another site that's just wonderful for you to consider is www.psd.ca.gov, and they have a page there on child sexual abuse. I want to turn you specifically and very directly to some helpful books that you can refer to. And one is called The Courage to Heal, A Guide for Women Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. Let me do that again. The Courage to Heal, A Guide for Women Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse. And the, this particular book written by Ellen Boss and Lauren Davis has been very helpful for a very long time. I have used their book with many, many people. One of the main things that they say is do not blame yourself at all. 
get over the guilt because you don't deserve to have the guilt. And the thing that's very helpful is for them to talk about all the dimensions of the sexual experience for girls at an early age without linking their very straightforward so that people can start being straightforward. While most of this program does deal with women who are sexually abused as children, yes, men and boys are sexually abused as well. The ratio in previous statistics was about one in every um, seven boys may have had some sort of sexual uh, maltreatment when they were young and that it was more like one out of every four girls when they were young. But that is a statistic that is really variable, hard to know for sure what reality is in that regard because people don't like to report it or they're discouraged from reporting it from their families. For the men or boys or fathers that know that their sons may have gone through this or mothers may know that their sons may have gone through this, check out the book called Wounded Boys, Heroic Men, a Man's Guide to Recovering from Child Abuse, written by Daniel J. Sonkin and Lorna Walker. And it looks like it was published in 1998. These uh, resources came out at a particular time where we really did not understand how uh, obvious this was. What are the symptoms of possibility? You know, parents come to me all the time and say, my children, they're... They seem to be excessively aware of their vaginal area or their anal area. They're touching themselves. Their um, little boys are getting erections. There's lots of effort toward sexual kissing or talking about fondling and such. That doesn't seem to be age appropriate or congruent with what is going on in the family. And so they seem to be kind of um, concerned that the child seems to have been exploited or exposed in some fashion or form unbeknownst to them. And if those uh, things are evident, it, it can be actually related to a number of different things. It can be related to infections in those areas that make children scratch or itch. It can also be related that there are some children that are just very sexually attuned and uh, uh, in tune with their, their physical body at a young age. It's not uncommon for little boys to have erections, for example, uh, just because they, because it feels good. Um, it's not uncommon for girls to like, discover that touching their clitoris is something that feels good at a very young age. But what you do look for in addition to that is a lot of talk about sexuality or the other extreme, where they're very anxious, they're afraid to be left alone, they can't sleep at night, they have excessive amount of nightmares, uh, they seem to avoid a particular uh, of gender, like men, or a particular age group, or a particular type of look uh, of a man for little girls and for little boys, actually. There seems to be a worrisome attitude about going to certain places that doesn't seem to be congruent with what the place is. What is so very sad about this is that it is more common for family members or friends or neighbors of the family to be the perpetrator of the sexual abuse it is much less likely for a child to be taken advantage of by someone that they do not know. Um, and the children are much more likely to protect or feel afraid to share information about someone who is a family member um, that they're close to or that is a neighbor because they feel like they're going to be blamed or they're going to be... Uh, or maybe they don't know that there's something wrong with it because that does sometimes happen. Um, or they may even like the attention that their attention starved and they don't want to disclose anything, 
or or they have been threatened or someone they love has been threatened by the perpetrator and they feel like they have to protect whomever has been threatened. And for example, if there's a threat, I will harm you if you tell your mom. I will harm your mom if you tell your mom. So that there's a sense of protecting other people by keeping it quiet. So it is a little bit on the tricky side to, to know if your child has been exposed to sexual abuse there's other aspects that can make it tricky as well. If it's happening at a very young age, age in my career, um, age two, the uh, youngest, where a person actually had some memories that were able to be validated. But very, very young and very, very rare that someone can remember at that age. They may have symptoms of having been sexually abused, but no memory of it when it has occurred that young. But uh, when it is older and a, per- and a child can talk about it, they may begin to talk about it but not realize that it was an unusual experience. Or they may not be able to have it in their verbal memory at all, but they nonetheless seem to act it out. But at those times, it's also very tricky to come up with what's called a false positive, which means someone is accused falsely because a child or someone has a memory or has thought about it. So it's extremely, extremely difficult um, to... No, unless a person has a very clear memory. And at that point, most of it is just about being able to say it straightforwardly. I so appreciate Joy Brown being able to say that it's very hard. She didn't tell her mother or father for years that um, that a relative had been associated to her being sexually abused. And at that time, it was quite difficult. But her parents were lovingly and positively affirming to her that it wasn't her fault, that this was inappropriate and... Uh, that they would protect her and they felt very bad that they had not protected. Now, in terms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is symptoms of anxiety, can't sleep, nightmares, repeated nightmares, fearful of going into similar circumstances whether the person remembers everything or not, it seems statistically that about 10% of the time when a child does have post-traumatic stress disorder type symptoms, that it is associated to um, some sort of sexual involvement. Well, the, the complications of the symptoms that really do uh, vary person to person depends on a number of different factors. First, the personality of a child, a girl or a boy that's been sexually harassed, may incredibly change after the event from being happy-go-lucky and easygoing and not afraid to someone who's very afraid very inhibited and very isolating. As a child gets older, uh, in the teen years, sometimes there's an overacting of of promiscuity and sexual intrigue has been uh, turned on at a young age. And so sexual involvement, which is called promiscuity, can be heightened. But on the other end of it, it can also um, be inhibited because there would be so much fear, antagonistic pain, Pride associated to so extreme reactions to one's sexuality in teenage years is one of the symptoms. But what's going to make it more difficult for one child versus another child first can be contingent on the following. If the family is intact and a happy family uh, and the child has experienced it, 
and is, is very the child who is also happy and is well supported and loved by the family. There tends to be an easier way for them to be able to recover from the experience because it does have a very good foundation of recovery. A second thing that does really help children recover is when the parents are very upset about it having occurred but have no attitude of blame uh, on any level for the child. They don't blame the child for not telling. They may be inquisitive. They don't blame. They don't blame the child for the sexual molestation. They don't doubt the child. And those three components are very helpful when a family can rally behind a child who's finally brave enough to tell. A second thing that will also determine how difficult uh, the reactions are to the sexual molestation is how grotesque the experience was. If it was very severe, grotesque, accompanied by violence, by bizarre interaction, by a lot of threat, um, by being extremely startled um, and frightened like a scary horror movie, then also the fear reaction, the anxiety reactions would be quite strong. If a child is molested repeatedly over and over by the same individual, uh, remember now most of these are happening by family members or neighbors, then a child begins to feel more and more helpless and hopeless to being able to stop what's going on. Expressions of powerlessness often can produce obsessive-compulsive responses, um, patterns that of tearing paper up, of throwing things in the trash can in, in certain patterns, of touching certain objects, of washing hands, of turning certain lights on, of not being able to leave unless certain things are taken care of over and over again, addressing just a certain way. There's um, ways in which um, those obsessive-compulsive responses are an attempt to regain a sense of being empowered because the power to protect one's body from intrusion has been completely robbed from them. And so that strong sense of helplessness and hopelessness is very is very strong. And there's lots of effort that goes into trying to accomplish some sense of being in control. So if a lot of activity has been around not being in control of the moment, then you're going to see a lot of effort to try to gain control. So associated to that is the frequencies of the intrusions and the ways in which it was done through being overpowered and or seduced into a situation where a person offers attention, offers sweets, offers love, offers a fun time elsewise, offers a good relationship, activities. That can create a lot of confusion between the good person and the violating person, and that confusion can result in other confusing relationships and trust in all of these circumstances to people are going to be um, questioned. Another aspect of the sexual intrusion is if physical harm in other respects have taken place. Have they been held down? Have they been entrapped? Were they bruised? Were they beaten up? Uh, was, there, was there a way in which um, they somehow were unconscious in the process or had to disappear because of the horror or pain of it. um, Let's talk about disappearing for a moment. It's called dissociation, and it's a wonderful function of our ability to disappear from a given moment so we are not too closely attached to what's going on. And if you disappear from a moment that's too severe or horrific, 
It's as if a part of you actually leaves your body or leaves the moment and goes someplace else. And this happens quite regularly with individuals who are molested, touched sexually, uh, uh, or intruded upon in terms of intercourse, uh, that the person will just disappear from the event. And then we'll have kind of a memory of it, but from way far away. And then, of course, there are other people who do not have memories of it. They have a type of amnesia to that event, um, to the person, even though the amnesia will disappear from the standpoint that they will be able to recognize um, that something horrible has happened to them, whether they're able to remember the event or not until later. How do you go about helping someone who's gone through this? Well, I do, I'm a psychologist, so obviously that's the avenue that I see people healing from, is being able to go to a psychologist. One, the ability to talk it out and to diffuse the experience of it by saying it to a person is feeling it emotionally, cathartic it emotionally, being expressive of it and being out with it so that it doesn't have to be harbored inside the person as a private secret. That is very, very important to be able to do. Again, the more open the family is, not to pounding the individual and knowing all the details, but being able and willing to know all the details and not being in a state of being appalled by that is extremely helpful to a person in their recovery. But um, you have to... Uh, recognize that not everybody's going to want to be that open to family. And that's where, again, coming into a psychotherapeutic situation with confidential, private, and someone's going to hold it, not not creating blame and also building trust, helping that individual walk through the process uh, with a full awareness as opposed to having to hide. Another way to help an individual go through this is they're willing to read different books of people who have gone through it. The book, The Courage to Heal, A Guide for Women, Survivors of Child Sexual Abuse, and the book, Wounded Boys, Heroic Men, uh, do tell um, the stories of different people who have gone through it so that a, a person who's been violated can go, okay, yeah, that's me, that's me. I can identify with that, and they suddenly don't feel so completely isolated, alone, or unusual about either their experiences, their memory, their coping, and also the symptoms that they're having to deal with. That is another way of alleviating the problem. There are different therapeutic interventions that seem to be really helpful. Um, EMDR is emotional. Um, it, it is a it is an, a way of dealing with the emotional experience of something without. Um, without having to retell the story so many times. And um, EMDR therapy <coughs> is related to trauma work of all sorts. It is, um, let me just tell you a little bit about it. A good site for it is emdr-therapy.com. And it does offer the hope for individuals with traumatic events. It stands for the emotional release. I'm trying to look for what the... Uh, definite eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it seems to build its um, intervention based upon the idea that we have these traumas grooved into different portions of our brain. And to regroove that information so that it you have coping or 
better healing of those aspects of the brain so that you're no longer having to deal with the way your brain is re-triggered every single time you have a memory or you have a similar circumstance or you see the person or you see something associated to it. It is. Um, it, it seems to help. Yes, the event happened, but it doesn't have the same triggers. And I have worked with a number of people who have found tremendous amounts of relief from rape or some sort of uh, psycho- psychological or sexual abuse, as well as circumstances such as accidents and uh, military people as well. So I would recommend that you go to a certified EMDR therapist uh, and see the benefit of that in, as a part of your recovery process. Now, what is important to realize, however, is that there are people who recover fully using EMDR, but not but not everybody recovers from the same type of therapy. Um, other types of therapy, such as relationship therapy, actually help the person heal enough so that other relationships don't have to be manifestations or repatterning the difficulties associated to the relationship that broke the trust in the human experience. And so relationship therapy can be extremely valuable. Psychoanalytic psychotherapy can go very deep into the unconscious programming as to what the person has gone through and what they need to redevelop. Another type of treatment that seems to be very helpful associated with psychoanalytic work is if it has happened very much in in, in the young years of their life, they often will have a regression or a fixation point at that age and not able to really mature beyond that age on some levels, whether it's related to their own sexuality, their own body image, or trust in a relationship and things of that sort. So it is imperative for a person in that situation to go through the type of therapy that actually can create developmental reprogramming or an experience uh, in a therapeutic relationship that allows them to grow past those developmental stages into being the adult or the woman or the wife or the girlfriend that they really want to be able to become. Um, the that that type of work through um, psychoanalytic psychotherapy can be very helpful, and you'd be looking for a therapist who is into the developmental um, uh, aspect of understanding human development. Um, another type of therapy that can be very helpful is hypnosis. Hypnosis has been used to regain memories that. Once the memory is recovered, an individual can experience a great deal of relief. Um, uh, Sometimes they will recover their memories and be traumatized by the recovery of the memories, but then as the trauma is reintegrated through other types of work, the psychoanalytic work, the the developmental psychology work, the EMDR, then it it works better because the memory is no longer laying dormant or having its passive impact on a person, and now a person can understand more directly what they're facing. Um, so hypnosis can be used for that. There are some difficulties with hypnosis because also because human beings have a wonderful imagination, they sometimes can confuse memory with imagination. And it is um, sometimes very easy to tell the difference between the memory and imagination, and other times extremely hard. Um, it is more to help the person recover what they need to in order to be able to recover from the experience. So hypnosis is a, a viable tool 
um, and has ups and downs as well. And then another one of NLP, neurolinguistic programming, has a way of being able to yet again be able to take what's been grooved into your neurology and to your memories and try to make it so that it doesn't have the trauma emotion revisited over and over and over again. So that, so all of those aspects, all of those type of um, treatments are extremely uh, usable by you and doable by you. And I want to encourage that. Uh, uh, Joy obviously isn't able to join us today, and I'm sorry she's not here to tell her story to you. What is a part of her recovery is that she also has a tremendous amount of faith. And in her faith, her relationship with understanding God, uh, spiritual existence, gives her the hope to also realize that bad things do happen to good people, but she's not alone in the process of recovery and in the process of some spiritual experience of, of the spiritual, the divine, knowing her pain, loving her through it, and helping her find purpose and meaning of being able to help other people recover and simultaneously also be able to know that they're not necessarily alone. The spiritual existence of individuals um, in terms of their being sexually abused is often very compromised because the most obvious question is why would a loving God allow this to happen to anyone, especially a child, but to anyone? And so people do go through the process of hey, wait a minute, uh, I can't believe in a God that would have let this occur to me. And that is a worthy question to ask, um, one that everybody would be asking. So for individuals to find comfort in a spiritual relationship suggests that they have somehow addressed that particular issue with um, their spiritual point of view. Then once they have addressed that issue, the comfort that comes associated to is extremely uh, helpful. Um, the research is very clear that once you have a sense that there's meaning and purpose in your life and there's divine connection, more people are happy and satisfied in their life with that connection than people who are not. Does that give them real hope or false hope? I'm not really going to address that in this moment. The truth is, is that it is extremely powerful intervention as well. The final intervention um, is associated to when this affects couples, loving, loving couples uh, who want to have an active sexual relationship and one person who has suffered the compromise of this type of treatment, having to deal with... Um, wanting to be sexually active and happy and and open and yet finding themselves feeling inhibited and uncomfortable and and awkward about having to um, be in a sexual relationship. And so a sexual abuse can compromise that and couples therapy tends to be an extremely helpful and necessary way of being able to help the couple deal with the realities of a person's past and bring the sexuality of that intimate, loving relationship into a different level so that whatever has been distorted by the sexual abuse 
does not have to fall into the domain of a loving, intimate, sexual relationship of a, of a happily connected couple. So I do recommend that if you are concerned about your spouse or your loved one that has experienced sexual abuse and is having the consequences of that, that you do not hesitate to get couples therapy with a well-experienced therapist. Well, I'm so appreciative that you were able to join for today, and I look forward to when Joy Brown will also be able to call in and tell her story to you. You can read her story um, from the book, Evolving Women's Consciousness, Dialogues of the 21st Century Woman, and you can get that book ordered through evolvingwomensconsciousness.com or drcarolfrancis.com. It has so many great articles from lots of different women in it, and I'm looking very much forward to being able to have Joy Brown's um, description of how she entered into a world of being a sexually abused child and then figured out a way to recover from it. I wish you the best in all of this. Do not hesitate to call and get more information. I am a clinical psychologist. I have done all of these types of therapies with individuals, working with people for 32 years uh, on the issues of sexual abuse. And it will just be terrific to be able to help you recover as well. I wish you the very best. Thank you. This is Dr. Carol Francis on Make My You can contact me at 310-543-1824. Dr. Carol Francis, thank you for tuning in to a difficult topic but necessary to uncover because, yes, you can recover from childhood abuse.